morning. Your reading today is Psalm 77. I cry out loud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out with wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Good morning. Uh, If you don't know who I am or if I haven't met you, my name is Kyle Pilston. I'm one of the elders here at Grace, and it's a joy to be able to every about a couple times a year be able to preach. Um, Man, if you were here last week, there's like every year there's about four or five worship services that just just hit me. And last week was one of them. The the sermon, the, the worship songs, being with all of you. I messaged our discipleship group afterwards that afternoon and said, I mean, like, my emotional RPMs after that worship service were like 6,000. And there were, there were a few others that felt that way, too. So if, you know, my, I don't feel like I could top it this morning after coming off last Sunday, but my goal isn't to top what happened last Sunday. My goal is to preach the word and let God do what he deems good through it. So let's come before him and ask for him to work and do good things as we spend the next few minutes here this morning in Psalm 77. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Your word, O God, stands forever. For decades and centuries and millennium, as as people have come and gone, and as there's been peace and wars, things happen, things fade away. Yet Psalm 77, your word stands forever. So thank you that you have given us a chapter in a book like this to be able to deal with hard and deep sorrows and troubles that we might experience in our lives when we feel the disconnect between what we know in our head and what we we feel in our heart. God, I confess that I am completely inadequate and unable to do anything this morning apart from your spirit helping me. So please keep me from saying things that are untrue. 
I pray that your word would shine forth, that we would, as we just sang, behold you, O God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, Psalm 77 is going to be uh, my 10th sermon from the Psalms. Like I said, I preach a couple times a year. So at this pace, I'll finish preaching through the whole book, all 150 Psalms in the next 70 years, which will put me at about 109 years old. And even if I am still alive at 109, I know that the book of Psalms will be satisfying truth that I will need to cling to until my last breath. In my last breath, when I see Jesus face to face, there are many things I'm eager about at that time and in heaven. But one reality that I'm most eager to experience in heaven is to no longer have this disconnect that I too often feel between what I know is true in my mind and what I feel is true in my heart. In heaven, there will be no more disconnect. Our hearts will have continual growing fullness of joy as we experience a perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that's why last week was so special to me. It was like this foretaste of heaven where my heart and my mind will be perfectly connected in, in what is right and good. So the, the book of Psalms reminds us of the struggle that we have with the disconnect between what we know is true in our minds and what we feel is true in our hearts. And too often when we're going through uh, struggles or trials or battling sin, our head knows what's true. We read God's word, we're like, intellectually, yep, that's true, that's right, I believe that, but our emotions have, the, have a hard time like syncing up with the truth. What is true in our heads doesn't always feel true in our hearts, and that's why the Psalms exist. The Psalms deal with emotions, and emotions, affections, what you feel can be used for great good or they can be used for great evil. And I've said this for like the last eight times I've preached from the Psalms. The point of the Psalms, one of the reasons this book exists in the Bible is that God-exalting feelings find their roots in powerful God-revealed truths. Proper God-exalting feelings find their roots in powerful God-revealed truths. And Psalm 77 is one of the clearest passages in the Psalms that deals with that. And so you have either at some point in your life been in this situation that we just read in Psalm 77. You've either been in it, you may be in it currently, or you're probably going to be going in into it at some point in your Christian life. You will might you will most likely at some point go through this low, dark, heavy valley of the shadow of death where you're you're wondering like where is God in in, in these circumstances? feeling like God has turned his back on you. And what do you do in those moments? And that's what Psalm 77 is about. So as a brief context of what this chapter fits into in the book of Psalms, all 150 Psalms are split up into five different books. And each book within the Psalms has its own theme. And Psalm 77 finds its place in the third book of the Psalms, which is the heaviest and darkest of all five books. After finishing on a high note in book two, the darkness has set in and the light has disappeared. So book two is about conquering and victory and the goodness of God. And then we go into the darkness in book three. And and that's what our lives 
are like. We go in and out of times of experiencing great joy and victory and gladness in God, and then we experience times of thick darkness and weighty doubts. So Psalm 77 goes in and out four times between the the psalmist is expressing uh, heaviness and doubts and then goes into a reminder of who God is and goes in and out of these these two things. The psalm is a, a lament. It's a sorrow. It's unclear of what specific situation the author might have been in that, that caused him to write, write this. And it's a psalm of Asaph. So Asaph was one of the three clans of musicians that David had put in charge of writing songs, creating songs that were meant to be sung by the people of God. And then some of those songs added their way or were added into the book of Psalms and have become scripture. So this song is to give is given to us to illuminate our path when we're faced with darkness and trouble. The psalm is a light into our path and guides our ways and it's meant to help us cling to truth when our emotions are pulling us away from doubting the steadfast love of God. So let's look at verses 1 through 4. This is the situation that the psalmist finds himself in, and he lays out lays it out. He says, um, we don't know the specifics of the situation, but we know that there's this intense sorrow that he's, that he's feeling, that he's going through. He's in trouble, and it's deep trouble. He says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. So in his deep trouble, he's turning to God. There's this audible cry that he's giving to God, and he's reminding himself that God hears it. Yet he's struggling to believe that God is hearing it. As we'll see in just a few verses, he lays out like question after question as whether to the Lord has turned his back on him. But God hears him, and God And he was wondering, will God do anything to rescue him, to bring him out of his trouble? Where is is God in his situation that he's facing? And in verse 2, we see that he's longing and looking for God to show up on his behalf. It says, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out with wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. So the trouble that he's in, that he's experiencing, is even keeping, it's so weighty that he's keeping him up at night and stealing him from being able to get sleep. Imagine him laying out on the floor, arms outstretched in the night, pleading with God to bring comfort to his soul, but it's not coming. Everything around him seems bleak to him. He's fighting to see God's promises, though. Verse 3, when I remember God, so he's bringing it to mind, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. So he's trying to think about God. He's trying to meditate on the promises of God, yet the darkness still is not lifting. He's fighting to see the goodness of God, but the, the fog of the reality that he's in is thick. His spiritual vision is blurred. He's still feeling faint, and his soul is still groaning. And the relief is not coming. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. So he wants to escape from the troubles he's in. He wants to run from it, but he can't. Have you ever been in such a deep, difficult, sorrowful situation? It's so heavy. 
you just want to pretend it's not there. Like, I just, I hope this is a dream. I want to escape from this like I want to escape from a dream. Or have you been, have you ever been so burdened with the guilt of sin or the heaviness of a trial that you feel like your brain's all scrambled and you can't even form words to come out of your mouth to speak to another person because of the heaviness that you're going through. I know that some of you have been in this place. I have been in this place. Some of you will be in this place. You just don't know it yet. And some of you will be going through it in the future. There's a a place of trouble so deep that you're audibly crying out to God for help. You're being kept up at night, and even God's promises do not feel comforting. This is the situation this psalm is addressing, and this is why Psalm 77 is for you. So if you're in it, this is meant to be a help to you. If you're going to be in it in the future, this is meant to be now preparing your heart to go into those types of situations. So with that situation, what is the response of the psalmist? In verses 5 five and 6, this is his first response to this bleak and dark situation. Pay close attention to the fact that what he's trying to do is meditate and remember on the goodness of God, but it doesn't feel like it's a comfort. It doesn't feel like it's coming. This is the fight of faith. He keeps remembering and he keeps considering God. It's a fight to have God bring the connection between what he believes in his mind and what he feels in his heart. And in verses 5 and 6, we see the response. It is, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. So what he's doing in these two verses is he's getting into the pulpit of his soul Picture this, he's getting into the pulpit of his soul, and he's preaching to himself what he knows is true. We go through times in our lives when the darkness is so deep that our souls refuse to be comforted. And what do we do with that? Uh, After high school, I did a lot of hiking in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And I didn't know that there were swamps that big existed up in the UP, but there were those areas where there's just gigantic swamps, and there's no going around it. You just you have to get through it. And I remember mucking my way through these swamps, like up to my knees, and seeing how long it had to be until we got to the other side, and where there was this plateau that would lead us to the high ground, and out of the swamp, and just being miserable, being wet and soaked and mucky. And if I looked down at the next steps I was taking and looking at the swamp water, it was just demoralizing. But if I fixed my eyes on where I was going, on the next plateau that would bring me to dry land, I found it easier to take the next step and the next step until I got back on dry dry ground. And that's what's going on here in verses 5 and 6. He's fixing his soul on specific things as a way to get his eye, the eyes of his heart focused on what is right. And he does it in two ways. First, is by remembering specific times. So he's remembering very specific times in the past when God's work was more clearly seen. So that's number one. And then number two is he's using songs as a way for his heart to meditate on the truth. So we we take up the word of God and we take up the songs of God to fix our eyes away from the swamp of our circumstances and onto our sovereign God. And we see the examples of this 
in verses 16 through 20 where he recounts the specific situation in Exodus 14 when God rescued his people out of the grip of the Egyptians and across the Red Sea. When we are in days of trouble, Grace Church, when you are in days of trouble, general, vague reminders about who God is is not the way out. Specifically recalling to mind the wonders and the acts of God, that is the way to fight. So you turn those wonders into cries and prayers of help for God to cause you to feel them in your heart. And that's what's happening in this psalm. So your day of trouble may hit the sorrow, the guilt of sin, the heaviness of the trial, a spiritually blurred vision. And you you could vaguely recall to mind the truth that that God is sovereign over all things and not go any deeper than that in your thoughts and prayers. And that's, that's not bad. It's a good thing to remember that God is sovereign over all things. Or you could do better and go to a passage like Psalm 46 and preach that and pray that to your soul, where it says, For I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. And wringing out all the truth that you can get from each of those words, thinking about it and pondering it and meditating it. So that's the first way, taking up the Word of God in very specific ways in your day of trouble. And then the second way is by remembering songs in the night. So he is remembering his songs in the night in his day of trouble. So do you have a repertoire of songs that are your songs that you can go to in the darkness? That Songs that are familiar to you, that you know well, that you can bring to mind and you can listen to? For me, one of those songs, we, we sang it last week, uh, that I go to time and again is All Creatures of Our God and King. And the reason I go to this in, in my days of trouble is, is I'm, I'm focused on the hard, spiritually blurred things that are going on in my life. Things don't make sense. God seems far off, and this song, All Creatures of Our God and King, is just brimming with thankfulness for what God has done. And it fixes my heart on that truth. All the redeemed washed by his blood, come and rejoice in his great love. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. And I can't say this line without raising my hand. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on him. He shall return in power to reign. Heaven and earth will join to saying, Oh, praise him. Then who shall fall on bended knee? All creatures of our God and King. So you go out for a walk in the woods. You put your earbuds in and you listen to these songs. The songs that we sing on Sunday morning. Create a playlist of them. Get familiar with them. Let them ring in your ears throughout your week and ask God to help you feel the truth and the beauty that are in the lyrics. So that is what the first response is in the day of trouble. These verses 5 and 6. You take up the word of God and you take up the songs of God. Now we move into the questions in, in verses 7 through 9. So lest you think that the word of God and the songs of God are the, the formula, like 2 plus 2 equals 4, do this, do this, or in your day of trouble, do this and do this, and then automatically you're going to get out of the hard times. It's just not reality. That's not the Christian life. And it isn't the reality in this psalm. So in verses 5 and 6, where he's reminding himself of what is true and right, 
It's back into the doubts and the questions. So we leave the good reminders of verses 5 and 6 and go back into the doubting questions of verses 7 through 9. Our affections for God are going to rise and fall in our lives. There will be days when the word and the songs lift us out of our doubts and darknesses, and there will be times when our souls will not be comforted. And we see six questions that the psalmist asks, which show clearly that he is not feeling what he seeks after in verses 5 and 6 that we just previously went through. And I just want to read through them question by question and ask if you've been there at some place in your life. Number one, he asks, will the Lord spurn me forever? Which means reject. Will God reject me? Has he, has he set me aside? Number two, will he show me favor again? Or will God be pleased with me again? What it feels like right now is it feels like I'm experiencing no pleasure from God. His favor has left me. Number three, has his steadfast love forever ceased? Has it stopped? Am I no longer experiencing God's love? It feels like he's cut me off from his love. Number four, has God's promises come to an end for me? Have they dried up like a dusty riverbed? It doesn't feel like that's flowing anymore. Number five, has God forgotten to be gracious to me? God, it it seems like you don't know what I'm going through here. You're not looking on me anymore. I'm I'm suffering here. I'm hurting. I'm, I'm dealing with something really, really hard, and it feels like you've forgotten me. And then finally, number six, is God angry with me? And has he cut off his compassion for me? Has, has my sin been so deep and so vile before him that I no longer can experience his mercy and I can, I'll only experience his anger from now on? Great Church, what these six questions are doing is giving you a biblical basis for humbly and earnestly coming to God with your doubts and with your disjointed, disconnected feelings. Don't, don't bury them. Don't bury them in your own heart. Don't bury them from others here at Grace Church. God's kindness, God's mercy is big enough to absorb them in his vast ocean of grace and mercy. You You may feel one of these questions. You might feel all of these questions at some point. These questions can just be a jumbled up mess in our minds when we go through our days of trouble, when we're going through the darkness and we're going through the swampiness. So as we move out of now these six questions, we are back into the psalmist's second response to his day of trouble in verses 10 through 15. So the six questions are followed by an appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Love that. He is going back to what he said in verses 5 and 6 and reminding himself of what is true. So the questions that he listed, these six questions, those are not the last say. They are not the end. They are not the whole story. So what he does now is he makes a declaration here of what he's committed to doing. He's going to do three things. He's going to remember, he's going to ponder, and he's going to meditate. So we see in verse 11 where he says that he will remember the deeds of the Lord and remember, he will remember the deeds of the Lord and his wonders of old. So what he's doing is he's recalling to mind the acts of God towards his people. One of the 
effects of living in a sinful world and having sinful natures is we are forgetful people. We forget to recall to mind the truths of God's word. It's a tragic result of living in a sinful world. We forget what God has done and who he is for us, and we need to keep recalling his wonders back to our minds again and again and again. But it doesn't stop there. We don't simply recall God's wonders to mind. We ponder them. Verse 12, meaning we linger over them. This isn't, you're not recalling God's word to mind for, whatever, 20 seconds, and then moving on with the rest of your day. You're, you, you ought to linger over them for long chunks of time. You don't go to the Grand Canyon for five seconds and be like, oh, that was great, and then turn around and leave. You stand in awe of it and soak it in for a long time. This isn't rushed. This isn't a quick fix. You ought to get away and get alone and be quiet before God's word and make it a priority to linger over his word. That is how you seek to make the connection between what you know in your mind about the wonders of God and what you feel in your heart about the wonders of God. So we don't only remember it, we don't only ponder it, so we're not only recalling it to mind, we're not only lingering over it for a long period of time, but finally we're meditating on it. Verse 12, we remember because we are forgetful. We ponder because we don't see things right away. And we meditate in order to make the connection between what we've remembered in our brains and what we want to have happen in our hearts. We want our affections stirred towards the wonder of God. So Grace Church, when we read God's word, we don't want to simply stop at knowing. We don't want to stop at merely pondering. But what we are after is to have our affections, our hearts, shaped by the sweet and beautiful wonders of God. It's like we're looking at a diamond of God's word here from these three different angles, remembering, pondering, and meditating. This is the way that we can start to see the the various refractions of God's glory as we're turning the diamond from different angles and we're seeing the mighty deeds and the awesome works of God. So verses 13 through 15 now are an example of what that looks like. So we remember, ponder, meditate. What does that look like? Well, it looks like verses 13 through 15. They're an example. He's remembering and pondering the holiness and the greatness of God. He's going after specific truths about God and lingering over them. So there's this battle that's raging in this psalm over what he feels is true and what he knows is true. And that battle is not won quickly with a vague knowledge of God. That battle is won through slowly pondering or slowly remembering and pondering and meditating on specific truths. Consider what trial you're going through or you have been through. Consider what sin that you're battling. There there could be an overlap between those two. A lot of times we go through trials and it stirs up sinful responses in our heart and we have to deal with both of those. You could be experiencing a trial that is Stirring up sin that you have to deal with, take time to consider what is going on in your life that is hard or sinful. And ask yourself how you can remember and ponder and meditate on God's Word. For me, um, the last few years have have brought about some sustained and and deep times of darkness. And I, I felt at different times, 
right? All at one time, all of those six questions. And back in like 2017 and 2018, there started to be these tremors in my heart of, of doubt and disconnect between what I knew was true and what I felt was true. And then in 2019 and 2020 and 2021, these tremors turned into a full-on earthquake in my life that ended up causing this giant rift between what I knew was true in God's word and what I felt was true in my heart. And there was, there was trials and struggles, like just one right after another for those three years, very deep ones. And they brought about some sinful reactions in my heart. And when I, when I, when I took an inventory of what was happening in this earthquake in my heart I, and how I was sinfully responding to them, I, I got confused and I got scared because I was responding in ways that I didn't think I had struggled with before, and they were new and deeper struggles, and it was scary. I did not remember, and I did not ponder, and, and I did not meditate for some time, but I sat in those six questions, and I doubted God. I knew in my mind through those circumstances that God was for me. But I felt like intellectually I believed the, the truth from Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Believe that. I know it's true. Totally did not feel like it was true at all. And so after taking this, an assessment of, of stepping back and seeing what is really going on in the depths of my heart, why am I responding sinfully through these trials? God revealed that what I, had happened was that allowed this a discontentment in my heart to take hold. These trials were getting at the roots of some things that I had to deal with in my heart that I had wanted my life to go a certain way and to have a certain level of comfort. And these trials were shaking that up. And now I was having to deal with discontentment. That was, I think that was what the root of what was going on. And so I had to figure out, what am I going to do with this? It can't, this is three years of this. This was it's really hard. I've been through some dark seasons, but this was going on for a long time. And there were many means of grace that, that God used when it came to a head last summer. My, my wife loving me as when I was very, very difficult to love. Uh, elders, when I came into elder meetings and shared with them the state of my soul and them praying for me. People in my discipleship group, being able to share with them the struggles I was going through and worship on Sunday mornings and counseling. and All those were means of God's grace to help me. And those have their rightful places. But the foundation of why those things are helpful is found in God's word. Therefore, when we go through our days of trouble, the foundation of where we find our help needs to be in God's word. And so I knew my battle was against discontentment. And I ended up finding a passage in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 19. And I began remembering it, and I began pondering it, and began meditating on it. I was thankful that God gave me 15 verses. God breathed words to help me fight discontentment. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these we will be content. But the love of money, but those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving 
that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness and godliness, faith and love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present time, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He is to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for himself as a good foundation for the future, so that he may take hold of that which is truly life. So as I started remembering and pondering and meditating on this passage, what happened over time was I started seeing truths and promises in it more deeply that I hadn't seen even in the first 10 times that I read that passage and started working on memorizing it. It, it wasn't days. It wasn't weeks. Uh, that, pa- that passage took months for me to memorize. I don't find memorization easy, but I have found it necessary. It has become like a familiar friend to me now. I, I've prayed it time and again when I feel discontentment creeping into my heart and I'm fixing myself on it. I, I feel the discontentment creeping in. I remind myself, godliness with contentment is great gain. I want something more than gain in this life. I want to cling to what is truly life which isn't this world. This is the Shadowlands. The true life is what is to come. First Timothy 6 became the sharp sword that God used to cut the head off of the snake of discontentment. It, it still lingers there. It's not fully severed. I still have to hack at it a few more times every now and then. But this passage has been pivotal in helping me walk through dark times and restore my joy in God, no matter what my circumstances are. So Grace, get to know a passage of Scripture like you know the buttons in your vehicle. You know when you buy a new, you get a new vehicle and you get in and you're like, where's the AM, FM radio, where's the volume knob, how do I set the cruise control? You have to think and hunt for where the buttons are. But after like six months of driving the vehicle, you get in and you just start pushing buttons. You know, you know where they are. You don't have to think about it because you're doing the motions again and again and you don't have to think about where those buttons are. Get to know a passage of scripture like you know the buttons in your vehicle. So you can start saying it. You can, you can say it when you're in the line, getting your license renewed, because you're going to be there a long time. You can say it when you're falling asleep at night. You can say it when you're on your commute to work. You can memorize a passage of scripture and recall it to mind. What a sweet thing it is to be able to drift off to sleep saying a passage of scripture, because you know it well. So if you're struggling with feelings of guilt over past sin, and you're a Christian, and you're forgiven by Jesus, memorize Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Cling to that. Pray that. If you're doubting God's promises and have a weak faith, memorize Hebrews 11. If you have a quick temper, memorize James 1, 19 through 21. If you have a shallow view of God's greatness, memorize Isaiah 40, 9 through 31. If you lack zeal for missions and seeing God's name brought to the ends of the world, memorize Psalm 67. If you're prone to discouragement and depression, memorize Psalm 42. The point is, find a passage of Scripture that is applicable to your sin struggle or your trial that you're going through that helps you pierce through any vague reminders that you might have about who God is. And focus, laser focus, on remembering and pondering and meditating those truths. And over time, and and through through prayer, and with the vital help of the Holy Spirit, you will begin seeing what you do not see. I have now seen in 1 Timothy 6 what I did not see last summer when I first started memorizing it. Plead for God to help you see and feel the grandeur of his word. Remember it, ponder it, and meditate on it. And I don't know of any other way to, I'm sure there are other ways, but I think a significant way of doing those three things is through memorization. Psalm 77 closes with verse 20, and it says, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So Israel went through the wilderness, experiencing many dark days because of their sin and their doubt. Yet in it all, God was a faithful shepherd. He sent Moses and Aaron to lead them. God continued to be a faithful shepherd to his people through the times of the Old Testament. And whether his people were experiencing trouble or whether they were experiencing trials or or sinfulness, they were walking in sin, God remained their faithful shepherd. And then, in the fullness of time, the word became flesh. That flesh was the perfect good shepherd, Jesus Christ. He came so that his sheep would know his voice. The shepherd became a spotless lamb that was sacrificed on the cross for our sins. Grace Church, there is no amount of Bible memorization that can forgive you of your sins. Jesus did that for you. The word, the shepherd, and the lamb is also the King of kings and Lord of lords. He calls you to hear his voice. So look to him. Cry aloud to him in your day of trouble. Remember and ponder and meditate on his wonders. He went to the cross so you could know him and hear his voice in the day of trouble and experience his joy.